Welcome back to the Work For It podcast. This is an interview with the one and only Luke Johnson. That is Crafty Man Forge. Go check him out. At the time of this recording, he is at 353 followers. What the heck are you sleeping on him for? You guys need to give him more love. He's a great guy. Go check him out. Before we get into the show, let's talk about our sponsors. First and foremost, Patreon. Thank you all for your support. Go check us out at Work For It on Patreon.com. That's where you can subscribe and get the after shows for $10.88, I believe it is, a year. Go get it. There's a lot of fun that we have over there. Go check it out. Get those after shows. We also have to say thank you to Maritime Knife Supply. Go check them out at MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. That is the best Canadian out there. You know, he's... Over there at Maritime Knife Supply, they're going to set you up with whatever you need, knife making, and uh, they'll get it to you quack, quick, quack, why the hell am I saying quack? They'll get it to you quick and cheap, and it's they're really great people over there. Also, check out Baker Forge and Tool. That is where you're going to get the best Damascus on the market. Baker Forge, Koi Baker over at BakerForge.com. There's some really pretty stuff that's made out of that steel, and you need to get on it too. Hey, while you're over there buying out some steel, use WFI10 for 10% off. Let's get into the show. Luke Johnson, how are you? Oh, not too bad. That's awesome. That's awesome. Where in the world are you? I, I don't know if I've ever if, if I've ever seen where you're from. I am in Iowa. I am Iowa. actually, uh, if you go from my house out the front door and head straight north, you will end up in Minnesota's Keister. Oh, that makes sense. That's where, because I was going to say, you've got kind of, not necessarily Iowan, like, vocal complexion, or, you know, you, it's, you almost sound Minnesotan or maybe lightly Canadian. So that's why I was kind of wondering. I knew you were up here in the Midwest somewhere. I'm originally from northern Minnesota. I was about 100 oh. miles from Canada. Yeah, I can definitely hear the Minnesotan in you. Well, cool, man. So in Iowa, what what is the best thing that you like to do when you're not working, when you're not in the forge working on something? What's the best thing? Like, what's a good pastime in Iowa? Uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just typical stuff. If we can, if we get a chance to get a nice family camping trip going, you know, and maybe do some hiking and. All right. Decent hiking around you? Oh, we've got a few trails. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of corn, but, you know, you search through the corn and you'll find some decent spots. There's some decent, <laughs> uh, parks and things, um. We've got a spot uh, a few miles outside of town here, up near Forest City, that you can actually go up to this Pilot Knob Hill, and they have this huge stone tower that you can walk up to the top of there. And because of the nature of everything being such flat, you know, like gently rolling uh, cornfields, you can actually, on a good day, you can climb to the top of that tower and you can see like six counties oh wow that's that's incredible um i think there's a spot uh, just just getting into the up of michigan there's saint ignis rock and that's kind of the same thing where it's all flatland around here and all of a sudden you go into this one big tall rock structure and you can see for miles and miles yeah so 
I mean, that sort of thing is pretty cool. And all right, now knob knob. You called it knob rock or knob hill? What, uh, what did you pilot, call it? Pilot knob and then, pilot uh, knob. Yeah, and pilot knob hill is that area around there. And interesting, interesting. So, Luke, tell me about what's going on because I know you you work for the USPS, which is your day job. Yep. So, how does that contrast with you being able to get into the shop and make what you want? It usually prevents it. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine so. But um, yeah, basically, you know, that's a day job. I've been with the postal service about sixteen years now. Oh wow! And uh, you know, got to pay the bills, keep the family fed, and what is the best part about being a USPS driver? Do you drive? Do you pack? Like, what what I'm part of it are you? Mainly walking. Um, yeah. I walk about a little over 13 miles a day, um, sometimes sometimes over 14, depending if I have to do extra. Wow. That's that's absolutely intense. And the fact that you're a walker, like, you know, even in my small town, they're all in those little trucks. So are, is it just like a compact area? Well, no, you're going 13 miles. You're going a long ways. Whew. Yeah, I, <laughs> I cover like half of the town here, so. Really? And yeah. Is it because is it a smaller town that you're kind of covering? Because you know it's it's very rare where you where you don't see the trucks full and like you know I I imagine it's not nearly it's it's not a an average thing to still have walkers, right? Yeah, I we had um, Ragbri come through here a few years ago. Um, that's this uh, across Iowa biking trek that they do every summer. Okay. And they kind of change the um, area that they go through each time. And we had to go through our town one year. And I'm just trying to do my deliveries on Main Street. And then all of a sudden I had a bunch of women come over and start grabbing me and wanting to take pictures and stuff. They're what? like, a real mailman. <laughs> our mailman's lazy. He just drives. But you're a real mailman. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm also married. Please uh, leave me alone. <laughs> So, you know, that old adage of it must have been the milkman or now it's must have been the milkman or the mailman. That, there's a little validity to it right there. Yeah, if you're not careful, yeah, you can get yourself in trouble. <laughs> Do you know any, like, has anybody that has been in around you gotten in trouble like that? Being late or, you know, being, being <laughs> somewhere where they maybe shouldn't have? Not, not right here specifically, but uh, in some of the towns I've worked in, that's happened before, yeah. Ugh, I imagine that's got to be – it's super obvious because there's a schedule to keep here. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing? You thought you were going to get away with it? <laughs> At, I mean, I had heard of a story of uh, <laughs> one uh, – two male carriers, one male, one female, that uh, they got oh. caught taking their breaks together. Oops. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they both ended up losing their jobs. It, well. It's like – and I don't know – that might have been more uh, myth than anything because somebody was trying to say, oh, yeah, they just backed their trucks together. It's like, those, okay. those bumpers sticking out <laughs> don't make it conducive for the trucks to, you know, completely <laughs> enclose. <laughs> <laughs> so that part didn't make a lot of sense. But, no. yeah, there's uh, every once in a while you run across a bit of hanky-panky, like – I don't know if you ever saw that video of the Amazon driver dropping off his friend <laughs> out oh, the back geez. of the Amazon van. That is a different type of special delivery right there. 
Oof. You know, I almost wonder if there's in every profession there has to be those, you know, myths, those old wives tales. Like for us working in grocery at Target, you know, there's always that that story of, oh, well, I heard that back over this town, somebody got locked in overnight and they found they had to scrape them up off the floor in the freezer. Okay, I don't believe it. Like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> but by the same token, oftentimes truth is stranger than fiction. That's I true. Mean, That's true. There were plenty of things I heard about at the overnights working at the radio station that was like, oh, I will be sure to sanitize before I use any of this equipment. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so radio station, that's where your great voice for radio has come from? Or were you kind of naturally going into radio because you had the, the great voice? Um, I just kind of fell into it. You know, I had some friends that I was hanging out with at the time that worked in radio. And then they're like, hey, we need an overnight guy. And I was like, well, cool. <laughs> I'm usually awake, so... I went in there, and um, I mean, it was uh, pretty encouraging when we had a guy that had just come in as station manager, and he suddenly was like, okay, everybody, remember, your next shift, I want a recording of an hour of your on-air time so we can go over it the next day, and uh, I got my recording, I went in there, and he played. he started playing it, and he stopped it just a few seconds in, and he's like, you've done this before. And huh? like, no. And he's like, you're good. And I was like, oh, wow. well, thank you. <laughs> but I feel kind of like, uh, you know, Jeff Fader's always talking about how he just grew up with the radio. I had a lot of that, too, mm. where, you know, I get home from school and my parents were still at work. And so the, the radio was my companion. And so I just listened to a lot of stuff and then, you know, got kind of hooked on that radio voice. <laughs> So you kind of developed your radio voice through listening to the radio as a kid. Now, would you find yourself like trying to imitate it as you're listening to it? Or is it just it came in, so you you, you processed it, and all of a sudden you just had that ability? Yeah, start uh, doing things like, you know, between that and late night talk show hosts and things like that, uh, like, I'm going to do my top ten list. Or, <laughs> you know, just different stuff like that you come up with. Like the old, uh, like Jay Leno style. Yeah, Jay Leno or David Letterman. David Letterman. You know, the the d old David Letterman top ten. Those things are hilarious. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and then the uh, big one, you know, first one I ran across, of course, was Johnny Carson. Where, right. Okay. You know, he'd do the the whole mailbag thing where the, oh, I can't even remember the name, where he'd wear the turban like he was reading the letter before it came out and doing the reverse punchlines and stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. So who was your favorite radio growing? Like who was your favorite radio personality growing up? Do you have one? Well, I didn't have like a, a national radio. It was just the, like the local DJs. Okay. And so, it, you know, it was mainly just the local guys and, you know, whatever chuckleheads they got to do their morning show. That was basically <laughs> it. So I know you have a litany of their voices like you 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 do the reads ad reads on hustle and grind podcast and there's there's so many wacky i love like your ad reads for all of them they're they're fantastic was that something you did like were you a class clown in the back of the back of the school room like trying to come up with different voices trying to keep people laughing or is that just something that's come naturally later in life i was kind of a class clown yeah it was uh 
that sometimes it would be difficult. I would uh, teachers usually either loved me or hated me. There was very seldom a middle of the road. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of makers who were that way. Yeah, I mean, I feel you know it comes part of it being a maker. A lot of it involves imagination. That's you know, true. The, That's I, true. Being able to tap into that and have an outlet in some way. You know, just that the term maker doesn't always feel as encompassing as it really is mm, when you think about it. That's you know, very true. That's why I've even been, you know, because I don't get as much time in the shop as I'd like, I am sometimes careful about even referring to myself as a maker because I'm like, oh, I don't really make that many tangible things, as many as mm. I'd like to. But I've got them all shuffling around in my head constantly. I, I constantly <laughs> have ideas. And, and then there's constantly things that I want to create. You know, I want to make more videos and, you know, just to do more things. Whether you're creating something, whether it's photography or videos or audio, it, making content is making. You know, there's just really so many is. different aspects to that. And, you know, there's, there's not only the skill that you have to have as a maker of tangible things, but the intangible, the the video, the production, the this, the that, there's so many things that a lot of people don't realize has to go into something. And, you know, that's, that's something that you have a big leg up on already having the radio and the production in your background. So I imagine if you were able to spend more time on it, you would be able to really excel at it. I mean, I'd like to think so. And, Time will tell, I guess. <laughs> Eventually, sure, we'll sure. Be, we'll get there. So, going back to you know, you you have your work USPS and thirteen hours or thirteen miles a day. I imagine that's a pretty long day. How how long of a shift is it normally? Uh, it's technically an eight hour shift, and then that'll vary depending on mail volume. You know, sure, we get, sure. We get dumped on by Amazon or something, and that'll that can make things a lot longer and. Wait, that's an aspect. If you're on foot, how are you? You're not carrying packages, are you? You're just doing like letters. No, we've got packages too. You're carrying pack like do they just strap it on you? Like how does that work? Well, it depends on the size of the package. You know, whoa. <laughs> there's a there's a joke in there somewhere. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, let's leave it. <laughs> we already talked about the postman postman hanky panky. We don't okay. need to go there. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> So but, uh, seriously though, like if it's an if it's a large size package, how are you supposed to carry that around all day? Well, you don't necessarily carry it with you because uh, you know, for example, today I also had shoppers, you know, full coverage of you know all the little flyers, and so you don't necessarily have room in your bag even for a smaller package. So mm. sometimes you just have to drive it off. That's just the way of it. So then of course oh. that's going to take you longer. That makes sense. So that makes sense. Just Man. everything adds to the time, and it's just, you know, try to do it as efficiently as possible and get her done. So I imagine, how long have you been a USPS walker? Uh, well, pretty much since I started with the Postal Service. So we're going on 16, 17 years here. So you know your area like the back of your hand. You know every shortcut. You know every, you can pretty much come up with the efficientest, most efficient way of doing a path, I imagine it becomes second nature, right? Oh, yeah, on my route, yeah, definitely, backwards and forwards. So, I mean, it's, 
I wonder how much of a burden it becomes when you, you know, do do you have people above you that are like, oh well, it our um, models say it should have taken you this amount of time, and it actually took you this amount of time. Do you have a whole lot of people above you that are, you know, trying to make sure that you're going as fast as possible? I don't particularly have that problem as much, but it definitely comes into play with the postal service in general. Mm. Um, that was more so when I was in another city where we had um, over 30 city routes there, and they all of a sudden came in and did citywide evaluations for all the routes. And okay. they were telling everybody, okay, this route should be this, and this should be this. And it's like, that doesn't work. And they ran it through this program that was supposed to make the most efficient route possible, but they didn't input the data properly. Oh, So yeah. they've got you, they're like, yeah, you should do this, and then you should turn this way on this street and start delivering that way. And they're like, that's a one-way street. <laughs> and you want me to drive against traffic. That's not yeah. going to work. See, we had something kind of similar back at when I was work living over by Emily's parents. There is a specific road right around there, in, like one of the back roads that wasn't on the Go or Apple Maps. So every time you would go in one, like try to get, put in directions to go in a certain direction, it would say, go loop around, go all the way back into town and then come back. Because yep. this this specific part of the road, for some reason, wasn't marked correctly, so it was in literally instead of turning and going in one direction, it would have you go in the opposite direction just to loop around this road, which is there. So I I know that those inefficiencies are in the system when they're trying to make you as efficient as possible, which is totally counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean it's very similar to. Um... You know, I've been thinking a lot about all of the talk about AI and everything lately. And just like most computer systems, it's as good as the information that it has at its disposal. You know, That's so true. That's if, true. If you're using an AI program that doesn't have the data that you need to make the calculation that you're looking for, it, then it's not going to happen. And so... You know, the old uh, garbage in, garbage out. That's so true. You put in the wrong data, you get the wrong data back. That It can't do any different. That's very true, very true. So when you're walking your routes, because I imagine because it's second nature, you don't really, it's, it's not something you have to actively think on. You know, when you're walking your routes, are you thinking about things that you're making or different projects that you're working on? Uh, yeah, I've got you know, stuff popping through my head all the time. And, and then I'm also listening to podcasts at the same time too. That's nice. That's nice. I know when I was stocking shelves at Target, it's the same way where you're doing something that doesn't actively need your attention on it. So your mind starts to wander about, okay, well, I'm working on this thing. So the next thing I'm going to do is this, or, oh, maybe I should try doing that. What's the thing that is currently on your mind that you've been thinking about on your walks? Um, I'm always trying to think of what I'm going to come up with in the shop and at least making sure that I can write it down so that when I'm actually ready to make it, it'll be there. So, you know, mm. I always keep a few notepads and pens handy that I've always got something to write on. I usually like these little mini notepads that, um, they're rainproof and they also have a, a graph inlay on them so that. You know, you've kind of got that sizing and everything if you want uh, something to scale or something like that. Oh, wow. 
So what is the project that you're currently working on? I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, you know, I'm really trying to turn it, the hobby into a side business. And okay. so I'd like to make things that I could make, you know, in production perhaps it, that would potentially sell. I'm into, I've got an idea for kind of novelty bottle opener idea that oh. I'm wanting to work on. And then I've got um, a few other ideas for the type, you know, knife designs that I want to come up with. And Tell me about this bottle opener that you're working on. I'm not even sure it's going to work, but I just <laughs> all of a sudden had in my head... And I mean, if somebody gets to it before me, because I don't even know if I'm ever going to get to it, but I just want to make like the old, like an old telephone, just, the, you know, the one you hold in your hand, it's got the earpiece on one end and the mouthpiece on the other end with the handle in between that you hold. Right, right. I just want to make like a bottle opener that looks like that. Interesting. Now, would it be the same size as the, the telephone? No, it, it's not going to be huge. It'll be smaller in size, but, you know, kind of like just a miniature of that. But where, like, where if you would hang that on the wall, you know how it would have the little divot? Yeah. So that you could hang that on the wall right under the earpiece would be a hole. Right. That's where I'm going to have the piece sticking out to pry the bottle t top off. Interesting. So it's... You know, like you said, it is kind of a novelty piece for sure. Like it's a, you you look at this and you buy it because oh wow it, that looks like a little telephone. You know, the old school telephone horn, but you know it's a bottle opener. That's that is definitely a really cool novelty piece. Yeah, and the cool thing about it is the more I see, you know, some of the guys who are making these worry stones and things like that. Yes. You know, a lot of that is the texture. You know, just having that in your hand. And I made a few of uh, the leaf keychains that I made. I managed to get this magnificent texture on them that was just like, I'm like, is this just me or what? So I handed it to my son. And I said, here, feel that. And he feels it. And he says, wow, that feels nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like the feel of running your thumb over the back of that thing. It was just like, that's like nice it's relaxing <laughs> now that is it the brute to forge feel like what what was the texture itself uh yeah i had a beat up uh the ball side of a ball peen hammer but it was all kind of pitted and beaten up okay and so i had kind of put the lines on this leaf you know kind of the veins in the leaf and and then i was just like i'm gonna go for a little extra texture so i took that ball peen hammer and just went wah, 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 wah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, after I cooled it off, I just started running my thumb along there, you know, make sure there was no scale left or anything. And I was like, wow, that just feels nice. <laughs> so that little ball peen now texturing hammer, you, you need to baby that thing. That's that's gold, because if you can recreate that feeling, I mean, I would love a worry stone that has that texture on it. If you're if it, you know, if it feels as good as you're thinking or what I'm thinking it feels like that would be such a cool little worry stone. Yeah, that's kind of, and so that's what I'm leaning towards. And I'm hoping to get the same effect. And, you know, maybe I'm overthinking it by wanting to make it into this telephone style bottle opener. But, you know, some way or another, I think there's a project in there. <laughs> so. so this whole thing would be forged. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that that would be some really intricate forging to get it to look like a, you know, telephone horn. Yeah, it, it's going to be a challenge. I don't know if horn is the proper term for it. Like, it's the telephone shape. I don't know what to say. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's the old school telephone. You know, even, uh, I mean, some of your, some of the cell phones still have uh, that shape on them. It's just like your oh, typical yeah, I, old school telephone. You now, know, I, the... I am a millennial, but I'm not quite that old. Our, our phone did have a cord, and it was on the wall. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh shit! And I, I, you know, I don't mean the fat one. I mean the one that had the handle was slender. Yeah, yeah. And so then the the earpiece and mouthpiece were round and larger than the handle. Now, when I was a kid, I actually took one of those style, and I that was like my bedroom phone. That was the the one that I had in my bedroom when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. But that was that. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's it's a really cool because it's it's already like that was designed to be held. So it makes sense that you would want that to be, you know, like a Worrystone-esque, like, texture thing. Yeah. I like that idea. I really do. So you brought up your son briefly. Now, I saw a post of you. I believe it was your son working on one of those Mark Rober Crunch Labs. Yeah. That is – I've seen those around, and I've always thought, like, that is the coolest, like – you know, teaching thing for your son if they're getting into making or, you know, doing these summer projects. How did how did that work out for your family? Uh, yeah, the kids really love it, and they're able to build them themselves, which was good that I was able to control myself and not touch them. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise I was like, okay, this goes here, this goes here. Yeah, here, this is how you do it, buddy. Oh, there, there you go. Now you put a sticker on. Yay, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine that would take a lot of impulse control for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, but it was really gratifying to see that, you know, both my son and my daughter already had the skills to put them together on their own, you know, with very little Next to no instruction. Every once in a while, they'd run into something where it was usually they'd skipped ahead in the instructions, and so they just needed help to backtrack. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, do you see, like, little makers coming out of them already? Do you, do you see that their maker switch is turned on? Uh, to a certain extent. Um, the tough thing that I'm, you know, working on a lot with my son is that, you know, actually making something. Right now, he is content to be an idea man. He's always ah. got ideas. And he's like, hey, I invented this. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you didn't. That's already a thing, bud. <laughs> he's like, well, what if you could do this? It's like, well, yeah, that would be cool. How would you do that? Well, I don't know. That's for somebody else to figure out. It's, like, <laughs> it's not an invention if you don't know how it works. <laughs> so you're saying he's going to be a Steve Jobs guy? Well, I hope not. But... <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be the mastermind and then have the minions under him to actually figure it out. I mean, if he can find a decent was, then I guess it would work out. But... <laughs> no, we, you know, obviously what you, you're going to be able to teach him the skills to actually figure that out. But he's young enough, I imagine, that, you know, that's still t- to come. That's not, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we got time yet, but uh, it just try, trying to get him in that mindset. And both of my kids, one of the big things is getting them to recognize sometimes things are hard. Yeah. Because they're pretty bright kids. And so, you know, a lot of things appear to come easily to them in certain respects. And 
So then if something gets hard, it's like, well, everything's supposed to be easy. So if it's hard, then it's not worth doing. Mm. It's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> if it's hard, that means you need to actually work at it. And you have to get used to being able to work at things you want to do. What's the latest thing that you had to work on extra hard to master? Oh. Well, really just... Uh... I mean, I guess the latest was not that recent, but, you know, getting into the blacksmithing. When okay. I first got in touch with a mentor with the blacksmithing, he was like, before anything else, you want to learn hammer control. Mm, makes sense. And so he's like, take a ball-peen hammer, take the ball side, and set up a two-by-four and a bunch of nails. Wow. And hammer the nails in with the ball. Nail them all through the board. Then flip the board over and hit the points with the ball side until you hammer them back out of the board. And wow. then flip it over again and hammer it back in. Flip it over and hammer it back out. Flip it over, hammer it back in. And he said, do that until they just fall out of the board. Wow. And he said, by then you should have some hammer control. That is one heck of a test right there. And so I did it, and I was like, yeah, that helped. Thanks. <laughs> now, and also, like, there's there's not only the aspect of you're trying to hit a, a round thing with a round – or I guess the flat head of a hammer or the nail is going to be a flat thing. But you're still – it's a small target with a round – it's almost like hitting a baseball. You're trying to hit a round thing with a round thing squarely. That's very hard. Yeah. So well, Especially when you flip it over and you're hitting the point. The point. The with point. The, with the crown of the – the ball right exactly so that's what i was trying to get to is the one side okay well i can i can hammer it in it'll take me you know a little bit extra but i can make that happen and then you flip it over that's that's the other shoe dropping and then also the fact that you're hitting it square enough where you're not bending over the nail yeah because that's the thing too if you're not even on the the side with the nail head on it you still have to hit it squarely otherwise it's the nail is going to go wonky. <laughs> right. Okay. I want to tip on you. Aside to the people who are listening, if you are listening to this podcast, I want you to do a video of exactly that. I want to see if anybody else in this listening world can actually do what Luke Johnson obviously can do because he's practiced it. I want to see. Sure. I want to see I'm those sure they videos. Can. <laughs> I want to see those videos though. I'm going to try it. I'm going to fail. I'm going to look like an idiot, but I'm still going to post it. Yeah, I got a ball peen hammer from uh, Harbor Freight. It's a one and a half pound. Okay. And that's the one that I use to get started. Wow. Well, yeah, because if you use a proper hammer, you know, you, you don't want to mess up a, a nice ball peen on this because you're going to be doing this a lot. How long did it take you to master that? Uh, I mean... Over the course of a week, I've, I probably put a couple hours or more into it. I mean, I didn't really keep track. I just I just run out there every day, and I'm like, okay, time to practice hammer control. And I had a couple of sawhorses set up and about a six-foot piece of two-by-four and grabbed a handful of nails and Went to started it. pounding them in and then flip over, pound up, flip over, pound in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm going to try that and I'm going to look a fool for sure. And I'm excited about it because that's that's something, you know, I feel like I have decent enough hammer control to make it happen. 
but that is obviously something that I could work on. And this is the test. Like, this is the thing to work on it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, that's just it. Even if you do have decent hammer control, that's just, you know, even uh, star basketball players, they still do drills. That's they true. run drills and things. They still practice it, you know. That's you true. You sharpen things up. That's very, very true. So tell me about your current knife design that you're you're really geeked about. I imagine there's something in either in your mind or something that you've recently made that you're just you feel like this is the path that you want to go down. Well, I, I kinda had um and I had this idea a little bit before you got jumped on the uh, harpoon clip bandwagon. Yes. But the idea of having not necessarily a harpoon clip, but having something similar to, you know, that skinner hook that you see on some knives here and there. Yeah, like those those gut hooks. Yeah. Something similar to that, but not because I I haven't done a lot of hunting. I haven't done any hunting since I moved to Iowa. And so I'm I'm not familiar with skinning out a deer or anything like that. But I've heard a lot of people say that those gut hooks don't work the greatest anyway. They're kind of a uh, almost a novelty in some respects. Some mm. people may use them and love them. I just I can't speak to that because I have no idea. Sure. But my idea for it would be basically to open boxes with. Okay. Like you line that up. If you've got a sharp enough point in the top of that hook, then that's going to slide through the end of that box. And then the gut hook part is just going to slide right between those two sides of that box, that tape on top, and just, you know, cut right through that without having to worry about the point digging deeper into the box and hurting the contents. Now, I am envisioning this, and that makes sense, but just think about, like, the branding you're going to be able to do. The person who designed this is a USPS package deliverer. Of course he knows how to do this. He's going to be the guy that comes up with the design. Come on. <laughs> oh, that that makes so much sense though. That, you know, I'm surprised that that's not already a thing out there. Well, for all I know it might be. I just haven't looked, but I I just thought that went hand in hand, you know, a nice little EDC with that little hook on the back to mainly open packages with. And... Interesting. Super interesting because that's, you know, one of the main issues, you know, again, I'm talking about myself a lot, but back in the target days, I'd be opening up boxes with my knives. And, you know, if there's a package of rice, like I'm opening a box full of rice and you're slicing open and there's a package of rice just a millimeter past where the tape is, you know, a lot of times you nick that bag and all of a sudden you got to throw one out. So no. this is like the safety version of doing that so that the pressure, the 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 end of it doesn't actually penetrate that far. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Like Super interesting. Cutting open boxes of pillows and, you know, the manager starts getting after you. It's like, why every time you open boxes of pillows, we're one short in each box? It's like, <laughs> well, that's because of my knife. <laughs> You know, I've had that exact conversation a couple times. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it is what it is. Mm, yeah. So before US, so you've done USPS, you've done radio. Have you ever, were those the only two jobs that you've had in your past or is there, there more that we can talk about? 
I mean, I have done uh, professional floor cleaning. I have been a darkroom technician. What? I have. <laughs> okay, hmm? these are these are opposite ends of the spectrum here. Okay, all right. What you were going to say more? I interrupted. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been um, a darkroom technician, a professional floor cleaner. I worked for the airline and the reservation sales office, so basically a call center. Um, I, I honed my, my radio voice there as well. Like, I was going to say, you know, that's where your radio voice really came from. Imagine, you know, opening up your phone and this is the voice that you're listening to. That I would almost listen to the whole spiel just to hear the voice. Well, <laughs> that was the funny thing, too, is I like I... A lot of people were like, you were allowed to choose an alias. You just had to tell your managers what your alias was. Sure. You know, so you didn't have people trying to track you down on the internet and harass you or whatever. That was generally something, you know, some of the female employees had to worry about more so usually. Oh, but every once in a while, you'd get somebody going after one of the guys, too, for some reason. But Ugh, People are um, scum. But people would, uh, you know, and my mom actually worked there too, and so she used an alias, and I was like, yeah, you know, there's enough Luke Johnsons around. I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> and I have this guy call up, and he's like, and I'm like, yeah, Northwest Airlines, Luke Johnson speaking. How may I help you? And he's like, what's your name? And I said, Luke Johnson. He's like, that sounds like a movie star name. <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> It's my name. What do you want from me? <laughs> so now you're going to tell me another one of your jobs in your past was movie star, right? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I've done voiceover for television commercials. I didn't star in the commercials, though. But What was your favorite commercial that you voiced over? Was Was there anything that was notable? Not really. I mean, it was a lot of... Uh... You know, the radio ads were mainly um, just local businesses. And mm. then uh, we had the um, the only I did a cable television ad for the uh, heating and cooling company that I worked for. Oh, that makes sense. Because they were going to hire a guy to do voiceover. And I'm like, I could do that. And they're like, <laughs> really? And then, you know, they spit out a read and they're like, oh, that's great. And. The lady was so impressed that she recorded it and handed it back to me and said, if you find another place to do voiceover work, give them this <laughs> as your demo. <laughs> wow. I mean, like I, like we've discussed before, you have the radio voice. You, I'm surprised that you don't have a podcast. I mean, I've thought about it, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, what, what do you do? So, I mean, first of all, you know, it's it's a you have a full time job and you're trying to make so you're gonna try to add another couple hours on every week. You know, well, exactly. It's it's one of those things. Gotcha. gotcha. Maybe someday, but uh, right now, uh, not so much. Time, time's a little tight. Right, right. So let's go ahead and talk about your maker past. Let's let's kind of dive into baby Luke Johnson. Maybe maybe it's right around the time that your son is now. Um, can you can you remember that first time when you made something and you had the idea for a project and then you made it happen? This is like super basic, but um, when I was between two and three years old, wow. my parents were we were living in a trailer on our land, but then we were building a house, a stick built house from scratch. Okay. 
And so once we had the floor, you know, the first floor down, but it's still bare uh, two by fours and everything going up. And we got all these people working everywhere. And then I am walking around there. And <laughs> this is so ludicrous because uh, basically what I would do is I would take like an off cut, an angled off cut piece. And I would hammer a 16 penny nail into it. Wait, hold on, hold on. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was like uh, probably close to three. Oh Jesus! Okay. And and so I I'm going over <laughs> and I t- I've got this little angled off cut piece, and I'm wanting to do hammering like everybody else is doing. Everybody else is out, you know, swinging around mostly these 16, 20 ounce hammers, just wham, 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 hammering sure. in nails and stuff everywhere. And I'm like, well, I want to do that, but of course I'm too tiny to be able to swing one of those hammers with one hand. So I'm carefully setting up this 16-penny nail on this angled off piece and then taking two hands to swing a regular hammer like a sledgehammer okay, and pound that spike into this piece of wood so then I can grab the, the nail like my handle and swing that wood piece like the head of the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh just going around and pounding on the nail heads that have already been pounded in so that I felt like I was accomplishing something. That is proper. Like that is a great first project story right there. That is amazing. (laughs) Now, were there any, like, did anybody give you a second look? Like, Hey, maybe this little kid probably shouldn't be, you know, hammering on this sharp nail and he's going to kill. I mean, at different times for sure, but. No, they thought it was hilarious. They're like, yeah, look at him. He's he's helping make sure that all the nails stay in there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is that is a good story right there. That is awesome. So is there any other, like, so that was the first one. Is there any other, like, crowning achievements where you're like, that, that was really good for the, for the age I was? Well, really a lot of just getting interested in this doesn't work, then let's take it apart and see if we can fix it. Mm. You know, like I had uh, my little tape player, you know, just this little single deck tape player with one big speaker on the side, you know, like uh, just a mono sound out of this. Yeah, like a boombox type thing. Like not even a boombox. Okay. You know, smaller than a boombox, a flat tape player (laughs) that just had (laughs) one speaker on it. It didn't even have the two speakers, you know, one on each side like a boombox. Right. Right. But that was the thing that I like to listen to music and stuff through. And and then it uh, it just kind of stopped working one day. So I just went and got a screwdriver and took off the back and started fiddling with the buttons and seeing the way things were turning on the inside. And I was like, well, this piece... If I move it with my hand, then I can either make it go faster so that the music speeds up. But if I take my finger off, the music goes too slow. So apparently that needs to be slightly faster, but not as fast as I was pushing it. So Mm. just got a little petroleum jelly on there, and then it started working normally again. Wow. Back when things were the way that you can just tear it apart and fix it like that. That's something like when I eventually have a kid... That's not going to be a thing because you can't take apart your your phone to, you know, or you can't fix a laptop. I, mean, I guess you could if you're really crazy, but that's that's not something you can just do as a kid. Well, it depends. I mean, Google's got everything nowadays, so. That's true. 
That's very true. That's very true. So th- were there a lot of projects like that? Like, you know, were you were you hot riding things just to try to soup them up? Or, you know, were you just the guy that when something broke, you, you tore it apart and fixed it? Uh, kind of along that. But, you know, basically that was the way my whole family was. I mean, I, mm. you know, my dad was, uh, you know, kind of the uh, jack of all trades and Master of a couple. I mean, there are a few things I'd definitely call my dad a master of, but also it was like, you know, he knew how to do pretty much whatever came up. You know, we lived out on an acreage out in the country, and so a lot of times there'd be things that would come up that it's like, yeah, we can't wait for somebody to come from town, you know, especially if it happened on a weekend. It's like, yeah, this needs to get fixed now, or we may not live till Monday. (laughs) So Makes sense. Makes sense. What was his main job? Like, what was the thing that he was normally doing? Uh, well, he did cleaning. That's how I ended up getting into it. Um, mm-hmm. He had a cleaning business. Um, at one point there, he had about 30 employees, so he had a good-sized cleaning business that we cleaned a lot of, uh, you know, um, department stores and uh, grocery stores and things. Now, with your dad being such a handy person, and now you're you're teaching your son through these crunch labs and other projects like that to teach him how to do, you know, basic things so that someday he can eventually be able to be a maker like you if he wants to. Do you remember a project that you did with your dad as a kid? Um, a lot of it and it revolved around the car. Mm. What kind you know, of car lot, was it? A lot of times it was just a, well, whatever car we needed to drive at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I get you, I get you. But, yeah, there really wasn't... Um, Cause, yeah, with my dad running his own business, there was a lot of times that it was just uh, a matter of, you know, scrambling to keep things working and keep things running. You know, we'd have to keep uh, some of the cleaning machines if they needed maintenance and upkeep. And then uh, it's like, okay, uh, yeah, transmission is slipping on the car. We're, it doesn't seem, you know, changed out the transmission fluid and everything and hey luke you've got small hands reach in there and grab the (laughs) uh well it ended up you know like okay well we just need a different transmission so there we go and let's drop this out and but yeah the the jack isn't going high enough and you got a smaller chest so you crawl under there and crank (laughs) those bolts Now, were there any, like, super sketchy things that happened because you were doing something probably a little bit younger than you should have? I don't know if it was necessarily um, because I was, if I was too young for a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I you know, case in point, the, the one that you mentioned where I was a three-year-old running around a construction site, <laughs> you know, swinging around a 16-ounce hammer like a sledgehammer. Sure. But, but um uh, one where I, I got injured was um, I was about 15. And I was trying to take the tops off these five-gallon pails that we were going to use to haul debris. Okay. And uh, the razor knife slipped, mm. and I cut my index finger on my left hand, which uh, I write left-handed. I write and draw left-handed. Oh. I, I'm ambidextrous with a lot of things. It kind of depends on who taught me. I would just kind of copy <laughs> whoever I learned from. That That's, of all of the reasons to be ambidextrous, that is a, that's a funny one. Well, somebody taught me how to do it right-handed, so that's how I do it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the funny thing. Like uh, most sports, I play right-handed because I learned a lot of that from my dad. 
And then, like, but writing and drawing, I was watching my mom, and so <laughs> I started to copying her, and she was left-handed. Mm. And so I have actually trained myself to be able to do most things about the same with both hands, but uh, sometimes it's more difficult. You're just dominant in one way. Sure. But that's what made it rough is I was cutting with the knife in my right hand. Right, because that's something your dad taught you. But my left hand is what I need for writing and drawing, and right. I was really interested in art at around that top point in my life. And I sliced that index finger on my left hand and I cut the tendon. Oh, wow. And um, so and I cut the tendon that makes you pull your finger towards you. Okay. And so they had to go in and, you know, I made a cut about a quarter, uh, about a half inch, three quarters of an inch wide. So they extended that cut another half an inch and then made another kit. So they basically made the kind of a backward Z, oh. you know, like a, a chunky S shape. Okay. So that they could pull the the skin apart, you know, kind of like puzzle pieces so that they could grab the two. Because, of course, your tendons are under tension. Right. And so when it cuts, then... One piece goes up, one piece goes down. Makes sense. And so they had to grab the ends of that and then stitch it together so that I would have use of it. And then I had to have my hand in a cast with the wrist angled towards me so that I didn't put too much pressure on that until after it had healed. Okay. And uh, uh, so that made things interesting for a little while. Do you have any, like... Does your pointer finger on your left hand not extend all the way or doesn't contract all the way because of that? I cannot um, pull it all the way into itself. Like on, on my right hand, I can pull scrunch my finger up so that um, the top part of my finger touches the bottom part of my finger. Right. But I can't do that on my left hand. So if you're it's ever a in a fight, gap. you're going to be fighting, you know, right hand dominant because you can't quite make a fist with your left. Well, I can still make a fist with the assistance of my other fingers. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So don't get any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if you see Luke out on his walk, don't don't do anything to piss him off. He can still he can still ball his fist. <laughs> I can still ball either one, and, and I can lead with either one too because I'm amateur. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh shoot! You you um you briefly talked about the fact that you did sports. You know, was boxing a part of that, or was it what what type of sports were you into? Um, just kind of typical football, baseball, basketball. You know, mainly uh, games with friends, uh, mostly. So, with baseball, were you ambidextrous on the plate? Yeah, after practice, that that was one of those things that uh, I was uh, very right hand dominant starting out and then i was like i don't see any reason why i can't do this and i just had to figure out uh, a lot of us just figuring out how to mirror right the, the position because it's like okay wait a minute the my this hand is on the bottom on this side so that has to reverse on this side instead sure. of just switching the bat the other way that doesn't work <laughs> The reason why I bring it up, because I had a teammate go going through school that was that ambidextrous on the plate, and he would 100% look up whatever stats that they could find and figure out, well, this pitcher hates left-handeds or right-handeds. <laughs> so yep. he he would 
you know, do that research and then bat the way that the person didn't like. <laughs> Whatever you hate, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that that wasn't the case for you, though. You, 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 did you ever bat the other way for a game, or was that just, like, screwing around? That was mainly just screwing around. Okay. All right. All right. I just thought maybe that would be a fun thing, but who knows? It would be, but I never got around to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So tell me about what you have planned in the workshop coming up. Do you have what's what's the project that you're working up to? I know you talked about the the bottle opener. Do you have some sort of a knife other than that box opener that you're talking about? Do you have a knife in project? Uh, well, right now I've got that Damasteel build along that nice. I have to get started on. I had kind of mentioned that a little bit on Hustle and Grind that I need to get my forage temperature controlled so that I don't turn my billet into a pile of crumbled steel. Are you doing the uh, Dennis Tyrell version? I I don't think I've seen his version yet. Oh, you've got to look that up. Go check out Dennis Tyrell. Tyrell, obviously you know, but for anybody who's well, listening. Yeah. Tyrell Knifeworks. Um, look up his, uh, I think it's a PID-controlled forge. But he's got it so dialed oh, in. Oh, okay, the forge. Okay, I thought you meant that that he did the Damasteel build along, and I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't know he had done that. I I don't know if he was doing that or not, but you've got to okay. check out his temp temperature controlled forge. Yeah, because... I I have I didn't watch that yet, but I do have it on the list because I had seen that come through my feed, and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely watching that. <laughs> that is one of the things that I want to do for sure because first of all, it's cheaper than you'd expect. I believe he said it's somewhere. All in, you're looking at maybe a hundred to a hundred and fifty dollars worth of parts and pieces, and you know it's it, he had it his so dialed in that I think he had like maybe five degrees above and below the temporary set, temperature he sent it, or maybe it was no. ten degrees above and below. But that come on, that's that's even heat practice or you know kiln level. That's crazy. Yeah. Because the the working temperature for that Damasteel is not very forgiving, right? It, if you bump up over twenty one hundred degrees, you're you'll likely lose your billet. Yeah. See, my will. I want to talk about what you're planning for if you're willing to divulge that to other listeners who might also be in this, you know, thing. But my original plan was to try to forge on it, and then I talked to a couple of people who. You know, a couple of people are saying, yeah, sure, just give it a try. Just start whacking at it. See what happens. And then I had a couple of people tell me, like, oh, by the way, if you go above this temperature, you're screwed. Which made me yeah. realize, mm, this is probably a bad idea. I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm still wanting to do it. Okay. So but, what's, and, what's your idea I, with it? Are you you're forging it out? Are you going to try to make a larger knife? I'm going to try to make a, a larger, you know, maybe. Maybe not necessarily a large chef knife, but a medium-sized chef knife. Mm. And I, I want to have the integrated handle. Wow. So not not quite the same as a Lin Ray, but, um, you know, kind of leaning towards, you know, his style. That is a tall order right there. I know. That, like you said, you're a glutton for punishment. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, well, you, you can't do anything if you don't try something have you done that style of a handle before no <laughs> are you at least gonna try to practice on regular steel first uh yeah uh, okay I've good got, <laughs> i've got uh you know i got quite a few things to practice on i um i i have some nice 
piles of uh, especially recycled steel that I, I can practice all kinds of stuff on. Sure. Now, I was going to say, there's there's a level that is a glutton for punishment, and then there's a level that is just plain crazy. So I'm glad that you're at the level of, you know, I'm going to practice it first. For You know, I'm not going to do it for the first time on this crazy piece of steel. Yeah, I mean, because there is... When there's a cost involved, I, I tend to be a little more careful. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. That makes sense. Because, I mean, sense. even with the discount, that's still an $80 billet. It is. So Whew. it's like, yeah, you want to eh, wanna take care. I, I would rather not have an $80 pile of sand. <laughs> right, right. Now, if you do get that and you, you it does work, you're a shoe-in for sure. Like that is the coolest. I I've heard a couple of people kind of talk about what they're planning on doing with it. Yours is the most ambitious I've heard. Well, and that you know, that can easily fail on me too. But I would like to at least you know really give it a gung ho effort. I figure if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this particular project, I'm gonna go all in. You're gonna swing for the fences. Yeah. Whether it's right handed or left. Exactly. <laughs> I mean. I put my maker's mark on both sides. <laughs> hey, 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 that's the thing. There's your ambidextry right there. You put your maker's mark on both sides. <laughs> um, hey, that's that's a interesting. Can you forge ambidextrous too? Can you swing that hammer from both that both sides? I mean, technically, I can, but generally, you've got your shop set up in a certain way, so that kind of throws you off if you're trying to go to the other side of the anvil and start swinging and see that's the thing that i was thinking okay well i've been forging for a couple hours on this side well that arm's pretty tired let me just go ahead and put that ha that handle in the other hand and i've got another couple hours in me it's possible but i don't know in practice how well it would work i don't know might have to try it one of these days well first off you're gonna need to grab a couple nails and do that 10,000 hours of hammering the <laughs> to become a master I didn't at your do hammer 10,000 hours yet. <laughs> right, right. Well, cool, Luke. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down and doing this interview with me. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up before we get going? Uh, not that I can think of too much. I mean, we Yeah, we've been talking for a while, but I feel there was probably more we could do at another time too <laughs> yeah for sure we can always have you back and do another hour-long podcast I've, i always really enjoy conversing with you and i appreciate you where can the people find you uh basically you know at crafty man forge on instagram is where i'm mainly trying to put up stuff i don't always get anything put up there but I try to have a few things so that, you know, people know, hey, that guy actually makes stuff from time to time. <laughs> well, I've always enjoyed what I've seen come out of your shop, and I'm excited to see that telephone bottle opener. That's going to be a really cool project for sure. I'm hoping. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you all. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a fantastic freaking week. See you guys later. Work for it, baby. <laughs>